Hey, thanks for joining us today on the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. My name is Riley, and I'm the pastor who oversees the young adult ministry here at Calvary. Now today, we're in our second episode in this series called Shelter in Grace. Now the whole idea here is that you and I will take this time of staying at home really seriously. There's lots of reasons for us to stay at home and to obey this measure that's been put in place for us. But for us as Christians, there's a unique opportunity here that's not talked about in BuzzFeed's top 10 things to do in quarantine article. For followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus. So today, our good friend Andy is here to talk to us about some of the barriers that we face when trying to get to know Jesus and how we can break through those barriers to actually get to know our true friend, the real Jesus. All right, man, we're back at it for round two. You were willing to step back in the ring with me. I really appreciate that. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun to be able to do these podcasts with you. You know, I've been able to know you now, Andy, for a few months. I feel like it's been probably almost a year now. And I feel like we're making new memories as we're, you know, leading through the young adult ministry, doing this podcast, Uh, especially during this time of COVID is so unique. But can I just tell you one of my favorite memories that I have with you? Sure. Real quick. I remember when when I first met you, we were like trying to get to know each other a little bit. And you work at Alta, which you mentioned, and you're like, hey, let's get together. Let's go to Alta. My treat. Love to get to hang out for a minute. And uh, I was like, let's go. And so we did. I remember we were eating inside one day, and you and I were just, we're just kicking, we're hanging out. And out of nowhere, one of the chefs comes over to us, and he has something in his hand. I could tell that he has taken very good care of whatever's in his hand. He had been nurturing it and wanted to know what you thought about it. And so he brought it over to you as we were talking and said, Andy, you have to taste this. And you're like, what is it? And he's, he's like, it's an olive. <laughs> and, and so my, my mind, I was like, I don't know what's going on right now. He wants me to taste an olive. This is like so random. Mm-hmm. But then you, you took it and you ate it and you started like talk about the notes of the olive and like mm-hmm. what he had marinated it in and what he seasoned it with. And I just couldn't believe that what I consider an ingredient had ingredients added to it to become an even more dense ingredient. And I just thought, man, Andy has a real vigor for life. Mm. He loves the little things, you know? Do you remember that with that olive? I, to, be honest, I, to be honest, I don't remember the olive. <laughs> I don't remember the olive, oh, but man. Uh, I feel like that makes sense. I, yeah. I can get really excited about olives and, <laughs> and the subtleties. That's you so you cool. add one ingredient, you add some rosemary yeah. to a batch of olives, and then boom. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, whole new thing. That is so funny. Dude, yeah. I, I've heard that chefs typically will, like when they're enjoying food together, actually feed each other. Do you actually feed your coworkers at all? Ooh, not now. We stay six feet away. That's true. And That's kind true. Of all eat off in our own corners. But like when chefs and cooks go out to eat, mm-hmm. it, it is not like, okay, I order my thing, you order your thing. Like, it is, like, full contact. Like, you just order tons of stuff, like, lots of small plates, put everything in the middle, spoons, forks everywhere, and you just serve yourself. Everybody's eating everything. That's amazing. Otherwise, like, why bother? But today, 
We're making some new memories. We're making a podcast. We're talking about getting to know Jesus. And this is something that's really dear to my heart, this idea that Jesus is God, but he's also our friend. He's the God who knows all, and he makes himself known to us. There's this thing that's just so mystical about the Savior of the world, how he has stepped down to wash our feet in a sense, and has made himself personal and accessible. And so I'm really excited, Andy, for you to kind of lead us through this devotional thought about getting to know Jesus. So can you just take us through um, this thought, this message about knowing Jesus? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so if you'll bear with me, uh, strangely, I want to start that topic by talking about tennis. Um, (laughs) And... It was really just last year that I started to enjoy watching professional tennis. And tennis started to make sense to me when I learned that it has more in common with boxing than any other sport. And it's really a brutal sport, in essence. Uh, you have to grind your opponent down in a tennis match. Making your opponent miss is just as important as hitting your own shot. And highly competitive tennis is a war of attrition. The player who keeps his or her mental edge is always the player who wins. And as I started watching more tennis, I noticed that many of the top players have immigrant parents. And they always cut away from the match to tell the story of the parents escaping oppressive regimes or poverty and making great sacrifices to give their children a shot at becoming great. And the stories they have to tell are as compelling as the tennis itself. And these players seem to have another level of grit. They aren't just playing for themselves. It isn't just their dream. They share a dream and an obsession with their parents. And when these players win, they always rush straight over to their parents and thank them. With tears in their eyes, the players acknowledge their parents' sacrifice, and you see their tired but joyful faces and can't help but be moved and inspired. Everyone loves these stories. We love seeing the hard work and sacrifice of the parents pay off. We love seeing the players' dreams come true. We love the appreciation the players show for their parents. These moments make the world seem good and fair and as it should be. As a Christian, when we see how much these parents have done for their children, and when we see the joy, the victory, and the redemption, it is fair for these stories to point us to Christ. You might start to think, wow, these parents did a lot for their kids, and Jesus sure did a lot for me. But the comparison does not hold up. Jesus is not our sacrificial tennis parent. You see, these tennis players are under massive pressure to perform and win. If they do not stay at the top of their game and beat their opponents, all the glory, the money, the fame, and their joy quickly evaporates. Trying their best does not matter. Winning is the only thing that matters. These players are obligated to their parents to perform well. They are obligated to keep their parents around, maybe buy them a house, retire them from their jobs, make them business managers, or let them run their charities. But what if the players don't like their parents? What if they don't like playing tennis? Andre Agassi, one of the game's great players, hated tennis and grew up under tremendous pressure from his dad to play. You see how the comparison quickly breaks down? Jesus has done far more for us than the most sacrificial parent could ever do. His work on the cross has earned us a place in heaven forever. In Christ, we have an eternal crown that never fades. We don't earn it is not based on our performance. All we need is faith in him. We cannot work for his favor or approval or love. He has already loved us in a complete way. 
He cannot love us more, so there's no point in trying to work for his love. The cup is full and overflowing, and it is all a gift of God's grace. Even if we don't have hardcore tennis parents, don't we all feel some obligation to our parents, however kind and loving they are? Aren't we wired to want to work for their love on some level? Don't we all want to do something to make them proud? I think that is normal and in many ways healthy. But here's the rub. Jesus isn't our parent. He calls us his friend. In John 15, verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. We should be jumping for joy when we read that. Jesus is our friend. So we can stop working for his approval. We can stop trying to fix ourselves up for Jesus or put our best foot forward. We can be real with Jesus. We can enjoy his love and his friendship. We don't have to change ourselves to be his friend, but by being with him, he changes us. Our friendship with Jesus should feel free and effortless and joyful. But to be his friend, we have to know him. In Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, he makes that very clear, saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In this passage, Jesus calls out two groups of people. Those who call out Lord, Lord, are people who claim to be Christians. They profess Jesus, call out Lord, Lord, but their words are empty. The second group, prophecy, cast out demons, and perform many miracles, the most impressive spiritual acts anyone can do. But these are just outward performances. They do not indicate true faith. To both groups, Jesus says, I never knew you. True faith has nothing to do with what we say or what we do. Faith in Jesus requires a relationship with Jesus. In fact, faith is the relationship with Jesus. We have to know him. So I ask, do you know Jesus? Think about your best friend. You probably know a lot about what they like and don't like. You know what they care about. You know what they are good at. You know what is important to them. And they probably know a lot about you. You don't worry about being misunderstood by your best friend. They get you. Your best friend knows you and you know them. And I'm sure this took time. You probably went to school together or worked together or roommates at some point. You've done things together, gone on trips, hikes, you run errands together. You go for coffee, stay up late, you talk on the phone. Really knowing someone to the point where you can truly call them a friend takes time. So I ask, are we making time to know Jesus? Do we make enough space for Jesus to truly be our friend? I was convicted I was not making enough time and space in my life for Jesus. And I felt that the quarantine was the perfect time to make up for this. With less distraction, less time spent in transit, putting on clothes, hanging out with friends, shopping and eating out, for sure I could make more time for Jesus. I wanted to set aside a day and read one of the Gospels cover to cover, just like I did when I first became a Christian. By the Spirit, I wanted to see Jesus with fresh, fresh eyes. I wanted to get a vibrant, full picture of who he is and what he is all about. I wanted to sit with Jesus, meditate on his teaching, and like the Apostle John, I wanted to rest on his bosom. And I was shocked at how hard this was for me. Even in a time like this, when absolutely nothing is going on, I still found myself distracted. 
After a few chapters of Matthew, I found my mind wandering. After a few more chapters, I got up, made a snack, walked around, and didn't come back until later that day. I did make it through all of Matthew, and the next week I listened to all of John, but truly I was discouraged by how hard it was. I struggled to just lay there and listen. It made me think of Mary and Martha. Mary had chosen to sit at Jesus' feet and simply listen to his word, but Luke 10, verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She gets mad and calls out Mary in front of Jesus. Jesus' response in verse 41 is amazing. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus says that Martha's priorities are way out of whack. She is worried and bothered about serving and logistics and probably trying to impress Jesus with her hospitality. But her, her sister Mary is simply spending time with Jesus, learning from him, sitting at his feet. This is the good part. But Jesus also says it is necessary. And in fact, it is the only thing that is necessary. At our best, I think we are like Martha. We are worried and distracted. We are busy with a lot of things. Most of these things might be good things, like serving in the church or ministering to our friends and family, working hard at our jobs, staying healthy, and streaming the occasional episode of Parks and Rec. But we can't let any of these things keep us from sitting at Jesus' feet. That is a good part, and I'm, and I'm afraid that many of us, including me, are missing it. I think a lot of us are more like Martha than we realize. And sadly, I think a lot of us are even more like the soil with thistles and thorns. I think Francis Chan makes a great case for this in his book, Crazy Love. He says, I quote, I think most American churchgoers are the soil that chokes the seed because of all the thorns. Thorns are anything that distracts us from God. When we want God and a bunch of other stuff, then that means we have thorns in our soil. A relationship with God simply cannot grow when money, sins, activities, favorite sports teams, addictions, or commitments are piled on top of it. Most of us have too much in our lives, end quote. That really made me think. Even good or innocent things like sports, activities, or any commitment can be thorns. We don't spend time with Jesus and know him like we should because we simply have too much other stuff going on. We have to think about this. We have to look at our lives while we still have this amazing chance to slow down and question what is really necessary. What are we going to let back in once the gates open up and we once again live in our busy, nonstop world of endless choices, endless activity, endless entertainment, endless stuff? What are the big weeds that absolutely have to be uprooted now? What are the small thorns that we have to watch so they don't grow and spread and take over? Maybe you have a lot of thorns in your life. Big, nasty, deeply rooted thorns like addiction or besetting sins that you just can't seem to shake. Maybe you feel like a Martha. You keep yourself busy with serving and miss out on the good part, simply sitting at Jesus' feet and learning from him. Maybe you're questioning if you really know Jesus. You are troubled and confused and scared. What do you do? Run to Jesus. Fall at his feet. Grab the fringe of his garment and do not let go. Cry out to him. He will not turn you away. In John 6, verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, 
and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And in verse 40 of the same chapter, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. God is sovereign, and saving faith in Christ is a gift from him. He opens our eyes and sends us to Jesus. Yet still, we need to choose Jesus. We need to behold the Son, and we need to believe. We need to know him. Jesus will not turn us away. He is the best friend we could ever have, and truly, the only friend we really need. Thanks for being here today. Come back next Tuesday for a new episode here of the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. Check the show notes for info about following and interacting with the young adult ministry throughout the week during Shelter in Place. We hope to see you soon.